wild courage exists to galvanize a generation of men. Tools and courage to fight for what matters most. And tell the stories that are born in the redemption of lives and souls. Hey guys, welcome back or to the Wild Courage podcast. Today, Jay Heck is in the barn in Emmett, Idaho, and we've been dreaming about this for years. Years, yes. We've actually held off on doing it on Zoom or any other way, mm-hmm. I think, for today. Yeah, excited to be here. Yeah. Thanks it, for the invitation. It's so surreal. Jay and I got to know each other through Brian Bird. And Leighton and I, my oldest son, got to come down and join Jay in Texas for the adventure of a lifetime. And that's where we first met and began to be friends. And that's carried into some of the things we're up to now and you coming to be a part of this weekend of the Wild Courage Firestarter Retreat we just did was was an honor. But also Jay's been doing a fire for eight and a half years and so when we started our fire, like he was, you were the guy with the matches. That's like, this is what I've learned. This is what I do. And in your humility, offered it up to us, anything you knew and, and didn't hold on to like, Hey, you got to do it this way. And this is what it's called. And this is what it has to be. And you're just such an incredible friend and mentor. And it's been such a pleasure to have you at the barn and Emmett. Oh, it's been a joy seeing what I so nervously began years ago, now seeing the hunger among all these men who have been flying in and saying, I need fellowship. Nobody else has started a fire. Um, I'm willing to do it. So let's go. Yeah, it speaks to the bravery and, and I think to the hunger of of what's going on yeah. in our society, in the world, on the planet, in our country however you want to look at it, because mm. these guys, we didn't advertise like, Hey, was there any interest if we like this organically, people started reaching out, like, I want to start a fire. How do we do it? Mm-hmm. And it got a little bit overwhelming and we tried to do some zoom calls and people kept writing and emailing in and reaching out. And so we're like, well, let's just gather in the barn where we started and dudes flew and drove thousands of miles and flew from all over the country to get here. And it's, to have you here, the guy that mentored us through the early days and continue to was just the cherry on the top. So thank you from for being away from home and taking the flight and the risk to come join us. And it's really just this weekend for me, looking around the room and looking over across from you and seeing you sitting here, like really moved my heart. So thank you for being here sincerely. Well, thank you. Thanks for making it possible. And yeah, let me be a part of uh, the experience. Y- you know, just something that I think is just so important. It, it just, years ago, um, when I thought about a way to take people who had a, who had, had a big inspirational uh, encounter with God, mountaintop experience, we like to call them, you know, like going off to a boot camp somewhere else and then coming back home. They need a group of men to walk with. And I became aware of that um, very late in my story, that where I want to go, 
I can't go there by myself, but what does it look like? You know, so I began to ask the question, well, how would I, how would I walk with a smaller group of men? And I had a lot of fears around being in leadership or, you know, I'd done a lot of that stuff. I've worked with churches and I just, I didn't have any desire for that. And it was the movies, Dances with Wolves. I I remember at the end of the day, those warriors would gather around in a teepee and they would talk about the issues. They would talk about their worries. Every man got to share their wisdom and, you know, watching movies like Open Range and Lord of the Rings, you know, their days of adventure would end with a campfire where they would eat, they would rest and they would talk. And they would be able to go to bed with some things that were inside their hearts and on their minds now out in the open and they got to wake up to a fresh day and do it again and then sit around the fire again. I thought, okay, that's, that's the way that it's got to be. It's got to be a fire. That's, it's so cool that you said that because one of my biggest early takeaways from when Leighton and I came down to um, be with you for the weekend with Being Sons mm-hmm. was you gave permission to us to experience and think about movies that way. Because mm. movies, like growing up in the religious system I grew up in, it was like some movies were okay, but mo- mostly it wasn't. But they really they really mold us, good ones like this, that impact us. And I just felt like you gave me permission to look back at these movies that, I, I mean, I grew up... Um, with no TV. So for our birthdays, we'd get a rent a VCR. Remember, you'd get to get yeah, the big backpack totally with the VCR. That, yeah. And that was our big treat for our birthday was getting to rent a VCR and we could rent two movies. And I rented Man from the Snowy River every single time. And I and as I got older, I always thought like, well, that's something that was some dumb movie back, but it really called to that thing inside of me of adventure and taking risk and love and the beautiful girl and the risk that he took and going down the mountain on his horse and all the things. And after spending that weekend with you, I was like, oh, I get to let that be part of what shaped me and not just some dumb movie. And so I love that you brought that up because it's, it's, I look at movies differently. I, I consume movies differently now than I did before I met you. Yeah. And we, I filter movies out. Now that I used to watch movies um, for their entertainment value. Um, now I'm like, my soul needs to be fed. I, I need to watch something that has some truth to it so that I can think about it for the next few days. Um, yeah, it, they're, they're filled with truth. I mean, it's, it's a little bit of a trap that God put movie producers in because as much as they might want to produce smut, the fact is they're not going to make much money on smut. Uh, because if it's if it's not in alignment with the human heart, there's just not many people who are going to go see it. And in those movies that are in alignment with the human heart, those scores and in the screenplays, they have to be written in a way that touches the eternal parts of the human heart. And uh, that's why there's so many movies that we can go back. And I love that, of course, of course for you, man, for, from Snowy River. Yeah. I just watched that recently with my daughter. It's a beautiful movie, but it, it's just, it was God revealing early on who you have always been and who you will always be. Yeah, it's, well, 
it's back to the power of story, which is what Wild Courage is, which is why you and I are sitting down to mm-hmm. talk, right? Like all these movies are beautiful, horrific, scary, emotional, uplifting, hopeful. Like they take us on a ride of the human condition, mm-hmm. which is why we're so drawn to them. Like in eighth grade when Red Dawn came out. Yes. I, I mean, Rob Wiley and I would sit in the hallway because we'd kick out of class and dream about hoping that that would happen, right? Like it just awakened something. And we're just, that's why I think that, that this is powerful, these conversations, because they're about story. Mm-hmm. And there's something safe and not feeling alone in hearing and seeing them mm-hmm. and hopeful. Mm-hmm. And the same with movies. So thank you for make giving me permission to look at movies in a different way. <laughs> that was not the only thing that was my takeaway. I've I've never been so scared since I was at your retreat with my son. Really? About the repelling. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's something you got to do side by side with your son. <clears throat> and the scariest thing he's ever done to date and that you got to do it together together both as sons with you not a hundred steps ahead of him nothing was required of you that wasn't also required of him yeah if jay if he wouldn't have been there i would have been, i would not have done it i had to and i know why now why you do all the things you do at your retreats your father-son retreat i wouldn't have done it mm-hmm. why would i Mm-hmm. there's no reason for me to do it. But my son, who's scared to death, too, to go over that edge and rappel down, I wouldn't have done it. It was brilliant. Because he's, you know, our kids are looking at us, and, and they want to know, how am I supposed to handle fear? I'm going to look to my dad. See and how, I, see how he handles it. I couldn't afford to be fearful right then. I had to be reassuring. I had to be like, we can do this together, buddy. Like, it was terrifying. Mm-hmm. And we did it. And we we walked away from that side of that cliff that day, like with both of us, like with our chest puffed out a little bit. Like we just conquered something very hard. And with that, let's just jump into yeah. to what your mission is. And then we'll jump back in your story and how did you get here. But we'll start at the kind of the end at the beginning here. Mm-hmm. So tell us about your your mission and what you do with sons and daughters and dads. Mm. Well, thank you. Um, and you can start with where that started from at that beautiful story of you coming home from your trip from Colorado with your son. If, if that's where you want to jump in, that's um, a cool spot. Yeah. Um, well, I'd say the mission, uh, I've been a little confused about how to articulate the mission, but I think it's just really simple. I mean, our, our, our mission is to help men, live in their intended union with God as father and son, not as master and slave, not as, you know, God and, and, and Christian follower, although those all have, they're helpful in describing that relationship, but uh, we're meant to live in union, in partnership with God on a shared enterprise, doing something that, that you and I as men were actually created to do. By him, he created us like if I were going, you know, I, I love men. You'll go to a mechanic shop and you know a really 
um, time-tested mechanic because they've made their own tool. Yeah, to fix. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like they they that, have welded something. That it's been welded on and <laughs> sideways. Right. Well, we are a custom-made tool by God to fix a problem in the world. Hmm. I mean, we're really a one of a kind. And I uh, didn't believe that for a long time. But if we can all <clears throat> go and move in the tension of trying to figure that out without having to look at other people and say, I think I, I'd be better off if we were a little bit more like them. Something very liberating to realize that we're, um, we're made by him to do something in particular for him. So, well, that, yeah, that along that thought, it, it makes us, that makes me feel unique. Mm-hmm. Right. Like a fingerprint and a snowflake yeah. and all the things that the Bible says anyway, mm-hmm. that we are. And that makes me feel unique to him by just hearing you say that right now. Like, oh yeah. Yeah. I'm not just a number. Right. Exactly. So, yeah, I mean, to get to the question that it, it, it's something that we have to discover, you know, I can't stand in front of anybody and tell them who they are. Nobody can do that as well as people try and do that. We've got people who articulate those messages really, really well. Everybody wants to know their identity, but really the best that we can do as God's sons is to, is to set the table for other people to discover that for themselves. And I think that's really what our, you know, the the adventures that I host are really all about. Just Let's just set a table for a men who already know that they're living in tension. They're hungry, they're thirsty, thirsty they're in pain, uh, and they're looking for an answer to a question. So let's set the table. Let's enter into that tension. In most cases, the tension is a man feels ill-equipped to meet what he understands is one of his greatest responsibilities, and that's to raise a young child into a man or to raise, you know, a, a girl into a good woman. And God bless our fathers, most of them, they gave the best that they could. Uh, but uh, we arrive at a place in our stories later on where we're faced with the biggest, most important challenge of our lives, our mission to raise these kids, and we don't have what it takes. We're aware of that. And God bless the dads. I mean, the, the men that I get to work with are some of the most courageous uh, men that I know because they're willing to jump on a plane or get in their car or even just invite their kids who've, who are, they're having conflict with and say, let's go do something together without really knowing what it's going to look like. So inevitably, I'll be sitting there after I kind of set everything up and and you'll begin seeing these fathers and their children trickling across a field to come and meet me and sign something and get a little package that I have for them. And I think time and again, God just reveals to me, that is one courageous dude right there. Yeah. And you do a great job in that space of acknowledging us fathers who have done exactly that. You're my people because I was there. I'm still there, still trying to figure it out. Yeah, when I think about you and your story, <clears throat> I think of risk. Like, I'm drawn to guys like you who walk this out. Because you, you've, 
you've spent enough time alone with God and pondered and surrounded yourself with the right people because you say very profound things and the authenticity in which you say them and the humility is why everyone's so drawn to you because you're like the real deal. Like you can say the things, but you've walked them out. When you talk about taking risk and you talk about um, going places where you don't, it's, you don't know, it's not mapped out. You're like a trailblazer when I think of you because I've heard part of your story of how this all started. Mm-hmm. And you're taking some big swings. Tell us about that trip from Colorado, mm. from your vacation home. Yeah, with Bear? Yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so God had, uh, shortly before my son turned 12, invited me into a category of living and thinking that was very new to me. And that was the category of being a son. Now, I'd always known, you know, in the scripture, we're called sons and stuff like that. But I, I just thought it was kind of a cute metaphor. But in his kindness, he took me th- through several years, m- many, many years in ministry, serving in different capacities, going to church, um, walking in Christian circles. And I just kept thinking, if I just do the right things, uh, and I learn the right things, and I make the right decisions— I will be transformed. I will be happy. I will become joyful. I will become less angry. I, I will not have all this residue that that I felt like a lot of this residue was u- uniquely mine, and then some of it basically was transferred to me, you know, from my family of origin where I grew up in. And so God invited me to be a son. I was like, I don't even know. Okay, what does that what does that really mean to be a son? And I have since learned that God actually speaks more, like his voice is heard more through the questions that I feel like I'm asking myself than through the answers, Hmm. right? Like, yeah, I ask the question out loud, wait, wait, I want to be your son. If that's what you're inviting me into, what does it mean to be a son? And then silence. And so that was my mission is to is to begin testing and risking. I didn't know that at the, at, the, at the start, but what I've come to realize is that sonship is something that can't really be taught by anyone other than him and it comes through risk, taking a risk and seeing God be the father that you in our wildest dreams we want him to be you know, catch us when we fall, provide for us, forgive us when we, um, you know, do stupid stuff. He's got the kind words when we come shuffling home with our head down and we think that he's going to condemn us with his words and he doesn't, you know, it's being surprised over and over again. Instead of running away, we run to him. And son, son's 12. And for a year or two, I had been growing in my terror of of this season of initiating him i didn't even know really what that word meant okay it's my time to initiate my son uh, into being a man and what i began doing is applying pressure and treating him like he was older than he was 
And the results of that were terrible hmm. because he began thinking, oh, no, I, there's no way I can please my dad. Like, I, I don't have what it takes. I don't have what it takes. Yeah. I, you know, he doesn't know what it means with, with the appropriate way to be a, an 11 or a 12-year-old, but I'm trying to treat him like a 15 or a 16-year-old, and, you know, in a heartbeat, I'm expecting him to be able to mow the lawn really well and do a great job and care about things in the way that a man you know, has learned to care about things. And I was just doing damage. So I invited him to go to Colorado with me, just the two of us for two weeks. Two weeks? Two weeks. I That's I, brave in itself. Well, yeah, a <clears throat> little bit of the backstory is, uh, is I had been working with my father in a business and we had just sold the business. Praise God, that's another whole beautiful story in and of itself. Uh, for 12 years, God had taken me out of ministry in the past, and he was doing a deep, deep work in me over those 12 years, working beside my father, beginning under him, um, and then working beside him. Uh, and that's what I needed. I needed to be hidden. I needed to be in a place where a lot of my gifting was not something I got to operate in and I, I got to wrestle with whether I had any value, even when I felt like I was not bringing anything to the world. And, uh, we sold the company and now I was in that, uh, contractual obligation where I was supposed to stick around for like nine months. Right? right. And I was coming to the very end of it. And so I actually went to my employer and I said, um, how would you feel about us terminating that contract two weeks early? so that I can take my son and go to Colorado. And I think at that point they were pretty ready yeah, you know, for, like, for the old owners to go. Yeah. And I was ready to go as well. So it, it worked out, but you know, you know, so I just gave up my job. What was scary for me about that is that, is that every penny I felt like, Oh, I'm terrified. I have to, I have to hoard all this. I have to put it in the bank because I don't know what the next move is. So giving up two weeks pay, was something I really had to pray about, but I felt like the Lord was in it. And and he's, he said, take your son to Colorado, something that you love. And you've never really done anything like that for him, uh, with him. So he agreed. Sure. And I had a buddy, uh, up here in, in, you know, in Colorado that we were going to do a father son camping trip with he and his son as well. So my son seemed enthusiastic about it, but as we got closer and closer and closer to it, we're coming up to like, I think two nights before we were about to head out and the stockpile of all the gear was there. We'd bought some new, bought some new stuff and, you know, in my excitement went to REI and, you know, got him oh, his yeah. own sleeping bag and all this other stuff in preparation for it. But in the back of my mind, I was always thinking, is this really going to happen? Is this really going to happen? And I was going in to tuck my son in two nights before the trip, and um, the corridors of, of our house were dark. And my wife was coming out of his room, and she stopped me in the dark hallway, and she looked at me, and she said, you just need to listen to him. And I thought, oh, shit. Game over. My sins have come back to haunt me. You know, it was like the beginning of the movie, The Patriot, you know. And I thought, oh, no, what what's going on? So I walk into his room, 
his his name is Bear, and he's curled up in the fetal position, and he had just been telling my wife that he does not want to go on this trip with me. And so I sit down at the edge of the bed, and I'm just trying to talk to him. He's finding it hard to talk. He doesn't want to let me down, so when I ask a question, you know, he wants to obey, he wants to be the good boy, and he wants to answer the question. And he was just afraid. He was afraid of trying to climb up a mountain that I was going to make him do something that was going to terrify him and he was going to let me down and and he was just going to suffer what he had already felt multiple times before. And that was just my disappointment. And it would come out in little ways like sarcasm or challenging him to, you know, step up, be tough, do these things. And the the accumulative the cumulative effect of all those little insensitive moments on my part, which were really fear-driven to try and get him to grow up, um, now was resulting in his being afraid of his dad. And I knew that really well. Hmm. I was very familiar with that feeling as I sat on the edge of his bed because, uh, you know, if my dad ends up listening to this, dad, I love you. <laughs> I love you. I love yep. you. I'm so grateful. And I can look back now at the heroic uh, efforts that you put into fathering and you've made some tremendous deposits in me. So uh, anyway, I bless you and, and thank you for for good. being a great dad yeah. uh, to me. Um, but he was learning. He was learning. My dad was. And I just remember being afraid. Always afraid of disappointing him and uh, grew up feeling really stupid, really small in, in so many ways. And if my dad had invited me on a two week vacation with him, I don't know that I would have wanted, I wouldn't mm-hmm. have wanted to go, you know, even, even the two day trips with him were kind of tough. Do you, do you find that? And, and we just uh, around the fire. Yeah. One of the, top two things that comes up the most often is what you're touching on right now. I feel like I'm bloated as a dad mm-hmm. and I've turned into my father. Yeah. And that touches on so many different things, right? There's there's a fear aspect of it, but it's such a heavy shame of a skid out. You, you know what's happening and you don't know how to get out of it. Like I've become my father I hear myself saying the same things that my dad said that hurt me. And I know I'm hurting my sons or daughter and I don't know how to stop. Like it's, or if you can, or if you can, like, I don't know. It's just the same. We've been having the same conversation for three years. Mm -hmm. Like I suck as a dad and I've become my father and we're all sitting on the edge of that bed that you're where you're at realizing, Oh shit. Yep. Yeah. So he's crying. He doesn't even want to look at me. He's facing the window. And I just put my hand on my son. And I felt this overwhelming sense of, I am a failure. Mm. And this proves it. I can't even talk my son into going on a two-week vacation adventure with me. I suck as a human being. And granted, I mean, the, 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 the timing is all beautiful because it was not long before that that God had invited me to be 
his beloved son. And he began to reveal to me that he had been with me in my story all along, being a witness to all of those moments where I actually felt like bear, unsafe, crawled up in a fetal position. I can't even make my father happy. I don't have what it takes in the world. I, you know, I still had that little 12 year old boy inside me. He was actually probably more like a six year old boy. And so on that bed were actually two. 12-year-old kids, both crying, both needing a really loving father to swoop in and to rescue and to offer perspective. And it was in that moment, I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to do. I was tempted to just walk out of the room and just after saying, okay, son, we don't, we don't need to do it. Because I'd made a promise to him that uh, if at any point he wanted to come home, we just, you know, get in the car and go home. You know, I needed to give him the dignity of choice and the whole thing. Parachute. Yeah, you bet. You bet. And he needed that, you know. And I got down on my knees and I put my elbows on the bed and I started to cry. And it's two, two 12-year-old kids who don't really know the love of the father, but know they want it, just want to be loved. And I said to, I said to God, okay, if I'm really your beloved son and you really are my father, this is what I need. I need you to teach me how to be a father. I need you to father me in fathering my son because I have no clue what to do. Now, I'll be honest with you, up to that point, uh, I don't know that I could have articulated that. Right. I, I, you know, if, if you'd asked me, what do you want? I think I probably would have said, I want a good vacation with my, my kid. I want to connect with my kid. Check I want to box. initiate yeah. him well. <clears throat> but if somebody had had the insight to stop me, pause and go, okay, what do you really, really want? What's the desire behind the desire? I would have said, I want to know that I'm a good man. And to be able to pass that on. Hmm. But I didn't know that at the time. I just want to be a good man. And everything, all the evidence in my life had suggested, you're not a good man. And this was just the ultimate indictment. You're not a good man. So to be able to get on my knees and say, God, I need you to father me and fathering my, my son. And we just cried. God gave a little bit of space. And then I, I like sensed God say to me, fight. I'm like, hmm? Fight right now. Fight for this. Don't cave. Don't walk away. Don't walk out. Don't give up. Fight for this. And I sensed he was saying, like, engage in some spiritual warfare. Like, this is not just the two of you in this room. There's a, there's a voice that's not you that's speaking. And so I got up and, and I'd never done anything like this with my son. Uh, and this is also important to note that that spiritual warfare was actually a pretty familiar category for me. And what I had learned is that spiritual warfare does not solve your problems. It does not help you understand your identity. It was a tool, but I was just using it, you know, and I'd kind of given up on spiritual warfare in some ways because it had failed to bring me the joy and release <laughs> right. me from the anger, you know, and I found myself engaging in spiritual warfare from morning to night and I was just wiped out. 
and I was not seeing any fruit. No fruit. No fruit from it. Now, that's not to say that there's not fruit from it. Okay, it's just that that sonship and the invitation, that was actually, that was the the ace in the hole. And God knew that. So, so I got up on the bed and I said, Bear, I know I've never done anything like this with you, but can you, in a word, describe what you're feeling? And I, he, he couldn't do it. I said, are you feeling afraid? Would, is that fair to say? And he said, yeah, I'm afraid. And I said, okay, I'm just going to pray against fear. So I put my hands on his legs and I, I said, in Jesus' name, we just command all spirits of fear, gone. Anything, any fear that's overcoming my son, I command it gone in Jesus' name. And then I said, what else? What else are you feeling? Um, disappointment. Okay, we prayed against disappointment. And I just got him, I kind of helped him articulate some of the things that were on him. And we began praying. And within five or six minutes, my son sat up, bright-eyed. And I said, how are you doing? He says, I don't feel any of those things anymore. Let's go to Colorado. I was like, you're kidding me. I was about, I was at the point where I could almost have put a gun to my head and said, what's the point of even going on? And then five minutes later, you know, God had told me what to do in this moment. And so there we were. So, so we ended up going on the trip. Uh, Two days later, we left. And that trip was filled with a lot of warfare, especially in the very beginning. Uh, We went on that camping trip. It was a glorious experience. Um, Got back, went back to the REI parking lot, and my son's backpack with all of his little, you know, the equivalent of his Whoopi blanket, everything was stolen out of the car. Oh, no. You know, he was into puzzles and books and knives, and he just, everywhere that he went, he took this backpack with all of these little comforters. All of it was gone. One hour later, we're in another Sunoco parking lot. You know, the one with the green dinosaur. The you know, there's Dinoco. I can't remember what it was. And we're both crying again. He's just begging to go back home. Let's just please, please, let's go back home. I don't want to be here anymore. You said that we could go back home, and I said, buddy, I, I will honor that. I just want to make sure. It just seems that God has been so good to get us this far. And we paused before, let's not make a rash decision, let's pause again. And so in tears, I had actually gotten out of the truck, both doors are open, the AC is on, I crawl around on the other side of the forerunner, I've got my hands on his legs again, and and we just prayed, Lord, what do you have to say? What, what do you want us to do? And I said, let's just go get lunch, let's just not worry about it for an hour or so, and by the end of the hour, you know, there was a piece again. I went to bookstores and I tried to replace everything that I possibly oh. could in an hour or two. And uh, anyway, we ended up going. And so we started praying. We had actually no idea where to go. I wanted to invite my son to pray right alongside me about every single step of the trip. So I had I had no hotel booked. I had no idea where the destination is. The only thing that we knew that we wanted to do is because what he wanted to do was do these alpine slides. You know, ski resorts. Yep. You know, with the, In the summer, right? Because he'd done one before, and I thought, great, let's let's just go chasing them. Problem was that early in the summer they weren't quite open yet, so we were calling around trying to figure out when is when is the first alpine slide in the state of Colorado open up, and it ended up being in Breckenridge, and so we uh, and 
we prayed, you know, where should we go? And we both kind of sensed that the Lord was just leading us to go to Breckenridge. So we showed up and and that was the most incredible, liberating hmm. um, two weeks probably of my life. It, it cemented me and my son together. It brought all this reconciliation. I mean, I could tell you the day by day um, itinerary of that, but that would be kind of boring. Um, all of that was to get to the very last night where my son for two weeks, almost two weeks, had just experienced the delight of his father. That's mm-hmm. what he needed to wash away that residue. And I needed to experience the delight of my father and the delight of my son and me. So even though I knew I needed to somehow initiate him, the Lord just kept saying, that's not what this is about. This is just about learning to enjoy one another. Like you, you have felt the pressure to be a good dad and to prove that you're a good man through this boy since he was born. And for the first time in his 12 years, you've just let the pressure off just to enjoy him. And it just changed both of us. It's amazing. Yeah. And, and to and this scary. Day, and you leaned in. Terrifying. Into it. Yeah. It is terrifying. Yeah. I didn't know what to do. So I'd be texting with buddies. Like I didn't know what to do when my son wasn't talking, you know, and the long, long car ride. Was I supposed to force conversation? Was I supposed to be upset with him if he wouldn't answer my questions? And I had invited a lot of other men's counsel into it. What would you do? How would you do it? And these guys are just texting me. Just in the moment that I needed it, I would get a word of Hmm. counsel about it. One of the dads said, go off as far away from civilization as you can on a dirt road and let your son drive your car. I was like, that's brilliant. Okay, we'll do that. Another dad said... Just be comfortable with the silence. Hmm. At some point in the trip, he'll begin talking once he feels comfortable. Don't push it. And that was such incredible counsel. Another person said, make it a fun little micro adventure to go into stores and, you know, like, you know that he loves cream soda. So why don't you just try and see how many different brands of cream soda you can discover on that whole trip, you know? And so that became a mission. Um, and those little playful things, you know, writing stuff with shoe polish on the outside of our cars, you know, celebrating like high school tier- cheerleaders, you know, that father and son <laughs> are out on a trip. So cool. And we just refer to ourselves as joy hunters, you know? Wow. So. That's amazing. It was, it was awesome. I love the humility in like texting other dads. Like, I don't know that many dads that, are like, have the humility to be like, I'm stuck. I don't know what to do. What would you do? Like, that's pretty cool. That's a big takeaway for me in this. And I think for everyone listening, it's like, you're not alone. No. And that was his counsel to me. When I said, father me, I don't know how to father my son. Mm-hmm. He's like, well, then ask the, ask the dads you know. And not just the ones who've got these stellar, you know, shiny kids ask the ones who've made a lot of mistakes they're yeah. actually the wisest ones right and i did and i it just felt like step by step one moment at a time i was fathered and fathering my son i had no idea what any day was going to look like we would wake up every morning we'd do a little daily prayer together you know uh that lasted about two minutes to say and then we would ask and get silent we'd say god thank you for this day um what do you have to say to us today 
and we'd wait 60 seconds and I'd look up and I'd wonder, did he hear anything? Did I hear anything? Because I was very unfamiliar with hearing God's voice at that time. And, you know, the Lord would say something to him or to me and we'd just go do it and it would end up being a total winner. And, you know, a lot of what I do now was really birthed out of that because I know what it means to be a dad who does not feel that I have what it takes to raise my son. I know the fear of failure. I know what it means to really need God to come through more than anything. What did I really, really need? I really, really needed a father to show me how to be a good father. And I thought I had missed that. I'd never missed that. I was getting it in real time, in the most helpful way possible. And that's simply the invitation that I invite other dads into. So you, you, I mean, the hearing the, the details of this story for the first time, really, th- this is the blueprint yeah. for which you've built it is. what you do for your life now. Yeah. That's the that's the beautiful thing about what you do is because like we were talking about all weekend, like the authenticity of like walking through it and you know it. You, it's not something you read about. You you did it and you're doing it. Mm-hmm. And that's why you have grace on it and you're so gifted at it and it's turned into what you do now. Organically. Yep. And every man who asks, God, meet me in this space. I don't know how to father my child. He comes time and time and time and time again. And so a lot of my fires that I host in San Antonio, um, I've got a lot of guys and their stories are really about their children, you know, and just asking that question, God, father me. And, And they come with their great stories of the ways God's working not only in their marriages, but in, you know, in their relationships with their kids. It's awesome. What happened when you got home? Like, what happened from that experience? Like, how long did that soak in before you're like, oh my gosh, this is what I'm supposed to do is lead other fathers who I, you're probably thinking, I gotta think I'm not the only one out there that's felt these things sitting on the edge of mm-hmm. my child's bed going, mm-hmm. Because I feel I've lost my son. Mm -hmm. Like that moment is fleeting. It's going out of my grasp. I feel like I'm losing him. So you probably at some point were thinking, I bet I'm not the only dude thinking this. And then to see the, the experience that you got to go share with Bear over this two weeks... How long did that take to saturate and for you to be like, I think this is what there's a need for this? Yeah, for a while, uh, I don't know that I thought much about it because <clears throat> I was so excited. I figure, I felt like I had found the key to life. And that's, wait a minute, I have been living as if I don't have a father who listens to me or is interested in helping me. And if what just happened with my son over this two-week vacation in Breckenridge, if this is actually the blueprint, then I can apply this get on my knees and request God to father me in every arena of my life. So I just got excited about 
beginning to ask the question, father me and how to father my daughter, father me and how to be a good uh, husband. And that was what consumed me for a long time. Like that's when sonship really began to make sense. What is my great need? What do I really, really want? And then begin asking God and anticipate that he's going to meet your need in a very creative way. And he began inviting me to do the craziest things that I'd never thought about before, like run a marathon. I'd never thought about running a marathon. He was like, come on, let's go do it. Let's go. I began doing um, solo backpacking trips. I'd never done that before. I thought, no way, I'll get eaten by a mountain lion if right. I go do that, you know? <laughs> um, but he just kept playing with me and saying, this is what sonship is. You've always limited everything, mm -hmm. all affection toward yourself. You've been unkind to yourself. And so it began, um, I needed to experience that. Uh, I needed to experience, oh, this is what it looks like to be the beloved son. So I, I was asking God time and again to be pretty generous with me. Took my whole family on the most extravagant three-week vacation, you know, pulled out of work for a while. Um, that was a huge risk. Visited eight national parks, saw places I never thought in my entire life I would get to go and see. And the Lord is just putting all these deposits in me saying, oh, your view of how I view you has been so limited. Mm -hmm. You're so much more special than you think. And so it was, it was out of affection and a desire to return um, love to this new father that I was discovering. That's really what gave birth to being sons. And the, and the miracle in my relationship with Bear was just, our relationship was just never the same after that, ever has never looked you know like that before uh, since and so i asked him what do you think should you know should we start doing this do you think that'd be a good idea and it was like oh yeah 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 we got to do this so it kind of felt like even though i was the adult um like you were describing with Leighton, you know coming down uh, the rappel the 85 foot rappel and doing that together both of you scared like my son was next to me and he was going to kind of be my wingman on the very first one of these adventures. And we were both excited about it. And I needed to keep looking at him and going, are we really doing this? He's like, yeah, yeah, dad, let's do it. And um, so it's just continued to grow. What, you know? what was the time frame from that life-changing camping trip to your first father-son retreat? Okay, so that was 2014 that we went to Breckenridge. I actually took him on another trip when he was older, 13. I took him to Australia, and that was awesome. That solidified the deal, probably. Yeah, it's just, okay, this is working. Let's just keep pouring into this. And I got initiated at the same time he was. And it was always a co-initiation. That's the thing. Like, every time I would put a deposit in him, I would get as much or hmm. more out of it than him. So That's I was kingdom, yeah. never pulling money out of my pocket and throwing it into something uh, for somebody else. It was it was always uh, an investment in myself and in my household. So 2017 was the very first first tracks. So it was about three three to four years before I did the first one. But by the time I got to that point, I had so many stories. I mean, I had 
I had such a conviction that God was so hungry to meet any father who would call out to him. And I had also worked in churches and in other areas, and I had come to the conclusion that I only wanted to work with men who were at the place that they knew they were hungry, thirsty, and in pain. Mm. And that has made ministry very easy and much more joyful to me now, because I know that everybody who registers, every man who shows up, they've already got skin in the game. They're willing to take risks. These are brave men. These are humble men. And I feel a kindred spirit with every single one of them, which makes it easy for me to be myself. Yeah. I mean, you're right in the skin of the game, like to get there, to drive all the way out. I know you have them in different places, but where we went to this camp, like it was a jaunt. Yeah. And I just remember feeling so like scared, like, exposed and then like the first five seconds of meeting you and bear was there running around and like you guys just kind of painted this picture for me of what's possible which is the hope in all of this and for Leighton to fall in love with bear and get to go off on their adventures together and for us to come back together and just how you laid the whole thing out was it was life-changing for us in our relationship because at that time I felt like kind of the same thing. Like I even whispered this to Mary and she's like, you have to do this. Like, you know how moms mm-hmm. and wives are encouraging this because they know the tale of the tape, really what's going on in these relationships. And so it was a no brainer for us. But, um, so what was the fear for you? <clears throat> um, the same as anything for a man, I think of being exposed Right, the vulnerability of like, yeah, I do suck as a dad. That all the fears in that area would come true and exposed and something I don't know anything about. Like, are we going to stand on stage or and say, this is my, how I, you know, you know what I mean? You just don't yeah. know. So your imagination and that and the, the, accu- the accusation that you've already been kind of listening to chirp in the background is like, am I going to be exposed? Are all these dads got it together and this is the third time they've done this? And you know what I mean? Yeah. And then the fear of doing anything unknown is also a factor in it. But you just had a way of like, oh, you're not here to, you're not here to about, oh, you thought this was about you being a son or a father. Yeah. You th- you're here to be, learn to be about how to be a son. Yeah. And then it was like, Oh, that was good. The beautiful thing about um, these adventures, what makes them powerful, is if a man will go off on a retreat by himself, which I've done many, many times, and I'll continue to do it because it's wonderful. A lot of guys came here this this weekend. But when when your son is with you uh, or your daughter is with you, that's basically your homework is walking around with you. <laughs> The magnifying glass. Yeah, you can't just sit in your journal and then go home and pretend nothing was the same. It's like you have this accountability partner right next to you. so true. And he can't articulate anything. You can't hide. You cannot hide. No, that's like taking your kids to a nice restaurant. Like you're... You're going to get exposed really quickly about how things are around your dinner table. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. And to take your... You're exactly right. To take your son or daughter to one of your things, it's like... 
they, you can't hide, you can't fake it. And they don't lie. Kids don't lie. Yeah. So it's really, that's the threat. I think you nailed it right there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as men sit around a campfire, like we've done, you know, for the last couple of nights, um, and they have to exercise vulnerability and, you know, guys' stories are messy. And when a dad's there with their kid and they're introducing themselves to the group for the first time, you can just immediately see the dynamics between these two. Are they good communicating with one another? Um, and, you know, kids are hard. Kids are just hard. They're all different in levels of maturity. And a lot of dads are terrified that anything that's going on with their kid that feels abnormal to them is their fault. Yeah. Um, so that's part of the beauty of it is that you've got, you know, you could have, uh, 18, it's grown now to like 18 fathers and sons sets and the dads for the very first time are, are able to look around at 17 other kids and go, my kid's really not that weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) And these dads are struggling with the same things I am. So, you know, just being in a community of like-hearted, like-minded men is it, there's a lot of ministry that happens just there. For sure. I remember checking into our room, right? And around the corners, the other bunk beds and father and son, and immediately hearing that son try to communicate to his, or that dad communicate to his kid, I felt I was off the hook. Because yeah. I was like, in the judgmental ways in which we do things in social scenarios like that, I was like, okay, at least I know that he's having a harder time than I am communicating with my son. So immediately I was off the hook and we became, he's a super good dude and it was fun to see their growth as in the whole process of the weekend. But yeah, it's it's a thing for sure. And you can't fake it. Mm-hmm. It's so exposing. But it's like we talk about with all of this, right? Just even our personal journeys is the fear of being exposed and the the hope and the breakthroughs on the other side. We just the fear of all of this. I've 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 tried to tell other dudes about what you do and and send and I could tell immediately there's like there's no way in hell I would ever expose myself to that because they've never gone on the journey themselves at all. Um, but the fruit of of that what you do is so important and valuable not only this way down to our sons, but in becoming a son, mm-hmm. which is what that's the whole mission is that really because is. it's, it's the first thing first, right? Mm-hmm. If you can get this going, right. Mm-hmm. The vertical mm-hmm. part of being a son, then being a dad, it's a different ball game. Yeah. You can't be a good father without knowing what it means to be a son. Yeah, because I feel like a lot of dads were just like white knuckling to like hopefully Mm -hmm. their mom can pick up all the pieces and they can get out of the house in decent shape. Mm -hmm. I've felt that. Mm -hmm. So I want to go back and renege what I just said. I said, you can't be a good father unless you know what it means to be a son. Um, I think what would be more accurate is to say that the secret to Mm -hmm. fathering is knowing that you are a beloved son with a good father who's there to help you do it. You were never meant to father on your own. And in the divine conspiracy of life, there is a reason that marriage between a man and a woman is part of God's 
uh, plan for most people is because he knows you're just going to be a selfish a-hole for the rest of your life unless <laughs> you right. do this, yeah. right? Until you share a bathroom with another human being for decades. <laughs> there are things about you that will never change and you'll never be tested to do it. And he knows that we need this as men. And then with kids, there are these really warped and broken places in us that he knows for your salvation, I need to give you a kid. You will never, ever begin to comprehend how I feel about you mm. until you have to wrestle with what it looks like to be willing to give everything for this young person who can offer almost nothing back to you in return. So. Well, the, it makes his face a humility that you don't have without kids. You can't. No. Because it's different than the sharing the bathroom thing. Because mm-hmm. that relationship can go away. Mm-hmm. And everybody will eventually be okay. But that other one. The choice is over. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting to me, do you have a child um, that you identify with more than the other one? That you're like, oh. My daughter. Is more like you? Yeah, my daughter's more like me. We, We both tend to hold stuff in. So here's my invulnerability for the sake of vulnerability. My oldest son is for sure the most like me. And the the one I have the most problem with because of the mirror part of all of this of, I do not know what to do about the things I see in him. that remind me of me that I don't like. Mm. And I don't like the way it makes me feel. I don't like the way I react to him often. I do have the humility to go try to clean up my messes when I, when I, when it's overwhelming and I, and I miss with him because he'll, it's so exposing that it bothers me that much that it's revealing to me places in myself that I don't like. And I see him do it and I don't know what to do with it. And then we tend to think it's our fault. And we, if we haven't changed, how can he ever change? And and then he'll grow up and nobody will love him. <laughs> and he won't be able to love other people. Yeah, yeah. I heard it said years ago, I'm sure you've heard it, that we treat other people like we treat our own heart. But we're not typically very present with how we treat our own heart. And so when I see my daughter reflecting back to me the way that I have treated her. It's an opportunity to be curious about the way that I treat my own heart, how hard I am on mm. myself, why I'm hard on myself. Um, you know, when she says, I don't, I don't need you. I don't want your advice, stuff like that. And, um, you're yelling at me, you know, uh, f- for me to realize I yell at myself all the time mm. and I do it very quietly. I wouldn't call it yelling just like I wouldn't call when she says you're yelling. I'm like, I, you have no idea that is not yelling. If you want, I can show you what yelling is. You think that hurt? Hold on. Yeah. But the reality is 
I yell at myself all the time. And it's very controlled. It's very quiet. It's very manipulative. And um, same being, damage is done, though. Oh, yeah, for yeah. sure. So I like what you said. It's invitation, right? All of this is, mm-hmm. is to be doing something that we're tired of doing. It's invitation to stop and maybe look around for a different way to approach this or look at it in a different light or pray about it or talk to a trusted ally who's a little bit further down the road than you are mm-hmm. or who's like you said done it wrong a lot and is getting parts of it right yeah and I'll, like you a lot of confessing a lot of confessing there was a point that I thought I'm not going to go and confess until I figure this out because I don't want to do it multiple times mm. And I have to have it figured out before I can be truly um, repentant for it. But that doesn't work. That's would that fall in her pride category, or yeah, I think I've done that before too. And it's like it's hard enough for me to go do can, to ask for forgiveness once. I certainly don't want to have to do it again. So I'll just wait till I get this sorted out. Right. I don't want to be called a hypocrite. Yeah. Oh, yep. Because that that card gets played sometimes in the marriage situation. (laughs) So it trains us not to want to be hypocrites. Right. Hmm. That's good. But again, it's, it's learning these three words, father, father me. And just learning to bring that sentiment and that prayer over and over again. Father, father me. Because... I feel this way about this. Here's where I am. I need you to father me. And then being open and, and realizing um, over time that he's going to bring that fathering in the most incredible ways. And so before that, I felt like I was in a world where there was a father in name only up in heaven. And for me to have access to him was something that was very rare. I didn't even know the terms and conditions of getting access to him. I just knew that every once in a while it might happen. Uh, But now what I see is his presence everywhere. I'm being fathered. I can actually look at a human being that I have any type of meaningful interaction with, and I can interpret in, in a way that is trustworthy how that person is being used by God to father me in a particular way. Hmm. It could be men, it could be women, it could be children, it could be a book that I'm reading, it could be a movie that I'm watching, it could be a guy that I've never talked to who's telling a piece of his story. All of it is God bringing a community. God sets the lonely in families. And one of the things that our hearts need as men and as sons is community. We are desperate for community and for connection. But to be able to look back and go community, to define community well, doesn't necessarily mean the number of men that I meet with on a regular basis. We all want that. We work for that. But if I can look back and I say, Jesus, what is the family that you've set me in? When you begin to recognize that the community of men that I'm in isn't just set at a certain geography or in a certain year, but the community is Bill Schrantz, that guy that met me when I was in high school and began taking me swimming, biking, and running, and offering something that my dad 
couldn't. It was Mike Doucette who took me for my first bird hunting trip and my second and deer hunting, you know, and you just begin listing, you know, the, the men who've come and placed deposits in me. And that's, that's my father. They are my father. And at any moment, the father's here and tomorrow the father will be there again. And once you begin seeing things in that way, then you don't feel so lonely and God's not inaccessible like I thought. I can pray and I can actually expect that somebody's going to come through the door or somebody's going to hand me a book and I'm going to get what I need. And sometimes it's in a very direct supernatural way and other to- other other way other times it takes a you know better vision on my part. And it takes more time. But even if he has me wait for the answer to something, he's actually exposing something inside me. You know, there's some lie maybe that I've believed living in in my orphan way that he's going to use that pause. He's going to use that delay to allow me to be very present with what I'm feeling like. I feel like you're not coming through. This feels really familiar. I feel like you don't talk to me. I feel like you're being unkind. And he just raises it up so we can have a conversation about it, get healed of it, and then move forward in a little bit more health, just a little bit more at a time. Yeah, that's really good. I I love the thought of, again, letting other men into our story Mm -hmm. and the humility that it takes, especially if that man is younger. Mm. I am finding men that carry something that I don't have or know how to do, even for my sons, is like inviting them into it. Like, hey, will you father me in this? You don't have to be all weird about it, but it's what's happening, right? Because it's something that we all feel like, man, I feel stupid that I don't know how to do this. My dad, and I'm pissed at my dad because he never showed me how. It's like... There are resources, there are men around, especially as our community grows. Like, oh, that guy's really good at that. I wonder if I humble myself and went and asked him if he would show me a few things. And people are so willing. Men are so willing in that context, especially if you come in low. Absolutely. To help. You just need to ask. And and to use the words... Um, to approach somebody in humility, to come in low and say, I have not been fathered well in this area. Would you be willing to father me? And they may not even know what that means, but that's... It's honoring. It's very honoring. Yeah. I mean, you're going to find most men are eager to jump in and participate in that for sure. Yeah, it's healthy both ways because I'm I'm always honored when somebody's like, hey, can I pick your brain about this? And it's something that you actually have knowledge in and experience in. It feels honoring. Mm-hmm. Like somebody cares what I have to think mm-hmm. or say. Mm. So it's like a win-win, really. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'll say this as well because I think this is really helpful. Without a vision, the people perish. Mm-hmm. Without a vision, the people cast off restraint. And so... uh what I realized that I had been lacking most of my life was just some categories to help me understand 
big, big concepts that just felt like words. And I was able to learn some of those categories and concepts and, and pictures at the exact same time with my son and to be able to say to him, hey, let's wrestle with this together. If this is what the masculine journey looks like, that there is a set series of stages that every single man has to go through in order to move out of boyhood, God bless boyhood, into manhood, then, and I don't know what they are because I was unfamiliar with this, can we learn this together? And just being curious with my son about all the stages of the masculine journey, uh, John Eldridge has done a brilliant job of, uh, through his book, Way of the Wild Heart, which turned into the book um, Fathered by God. He lays out six stages of the masculine journey. I added a seventh one, which I teach to you know the boys at first tracks. And I find that the boys and the dads walk away hmm. and they're able to make a rock cairn in their garden or in, in the room, you know, the boy's room. And it reminds both of them, oh, here's where I am. And here's why this is an incre incredibly important transition stage between the one that I was in and the one that I'm moving into. So all of the hard is actually really good because without this hard good right now, I'm not able to become the man that I most want to be. And the most helpful question I ever ask my son is, what kind of man do you want to be? Hmm. In context of a compelling vision for what authentic masculinity is, and I can just go and look at movies with my son and say, which man in that movie would you most want to be and why? And go, well, I clearly want to be that guy. Uh, we went to see Dunkirk together. And you see these fishermen basically going and rescuing all these soldiers, you know, with U-boats and everything. Uh, and for him to be able to clearly articulate, I want to be that guy. I want to be that 60, 70-year-old guy who's taking these two boys in the boat and he's going to rescue people. He's putting himself in harm's way because that's what a man does. See, it, it takes the burden off of me to try and explain what a man is because his heart is is resonating with what he's seeing. And then to be curious, okay, well, how do you and I together become more like that man mm. right there? What journey did that man have to go on? What lessons did he have to learn to become that? And then you can look at the Lord of the Rings and you can learn from Star Wars. You can, you can take bits and pieces and allow God to formulate a vision for what an authentic man is. And then, okay, you know, let's go. But just a simple, I build a rock cairn with you know, when we talk about the stages of the masculine journey, I'll just go through them really quickly. There's the beloved son. It's it's the first and foremost. And without the beloved son stage being entered in a, health, in a very healthy way, <laughs> if, if you don't get that, then, then all of the stages after that, they're just jacked up with a impure motivations, you know, because you're constantly trying to get an answer to the, to the question, the first stage that was meant to be asked and that they're answered and that's, am I the beloved son? And then there's the adventurer stage and then there's the warrior stage and then there's the lover stage and then there's the king stage and then there's the sage stage. And then I added one to John Eldridge's book. I, I call it the reigning son because ultimately to keep our eye on the fact that all of this is training for reigning in heaven. That's what it is. That's what we're meant for. And those people who don't cooperate with the program, they're going to, you know, Eventually, they're going to be released from the invitation, you know, to to be sons of God and, and to rule and reign with him forever. So that has been probably the most useful 
picture and vision that I've been able to give my son because now whether I'm around or not, he's able to put every experience, he's able to ask about any experience. Okay, God, here's how I'm interpreting um, this experience or this person or this relationship. But in light of the masculine journey and the kind of man that I want to be, how does this fit in here? And God will inevitably be able to show him, oh, you're going through a hard time. You're learning to be a warrior or you're learning to appreciate beauty in areas that you just, you currently don't. Or, you know, I'm, I'm, as the beloved son, I'm taking you on an adventure and you get to, you know, test your mettle against things. And, uh, it's very dignifying. And that's what the masculine soul needs is for every interaction with other human beings, whether it's hard or, um, or, or easy. How do I place that? How do I interpret that? And how does it actually, um, move me into the great dignity of my calling as a man. So that's one of the most powerful things I get to share on these father-son weekends is we'll gather around. I kind of go through the stages of the masculine journey. And the dads are like, that's the most helpful thing I've ever heard Seriously. in my life. And they get to go home. And now all of their conversations with their son get to be around interpreting life together on the masculine journey together through the lens of those seven stages. And of course, we go into a whole lot more, but it's just an incredible start when you've got a nine to a 13-year-old boy. That's all they need, you know? And I'm still leaning into that. Yeah, it's beautiful. And you articulate it so well. Um, so this has turned, that went from you doing first tracks with sons, very specific age group. You've added an age group, right? Yeah, with the sons. With the sons. But you also do... Yeah. First Bloom. Yes. With nine to 13 year old daughters. Seven to 13. Seven to 13 year old daughters. Yes. That's my favorite. That's the, my favorite mission because there's so much beauty. Mm. And I, I don't think dads have, I don't think dads appreciate their, their power and their influence and how desperately desired they are uh, from their daughter in their daughter's eyes. So those are the most beautiful weekends I do. I mean, I look forward to First Bloom more than anything else because I know dads are going to show up and they're going to think their daughters are cute and they're going to think that, oh, this is going to be a nice little, you know, weekend for bonding. But what they're going to find out is how deeply God and how, how much of a gift that girl is to that man so that God can... F reveal that man's true heart, the full breadth. Every man wants to be a lover and a poet and an artist, and and he wants to live in beauty. And there's nothing more beautiful to a man than his daughter. And to be able to, to basically take a roller coaster ride with her into her heart, and the two of them enjoy that ride together, it's intoxicating. Oh, it's beautiful. So, I can't even imagine the the shakeup you've done in men's hearts for not only just just sitting here really taking in the magnitude of the what you're putting your hands to, Jay, because it's about sonship because we can't give away what we don't have. Mm -hmm. And understanding that so that we can go be the dads to little boys and little girls that we're supposed to be 
Like, this is how you change the planet. This literally is how you change the planet because then there's healthy young men and women growing up in the context of you modeling us as dads, modeling what it looks like to contend for mom's heart mm-hmm. and what a good, healthy marriage looks like. Then that's the bar. That's the model. Then they go do it and their grandkids, like, that's how we change things. Mm-hmm. And you're doing it. And you've been doing it for a long time. I just continue to have an ever-deepening revelation of of all that God intended through like Malachi 4, 6, when before Jesus came, the last thing that was said through that prophet Malachi in, in the Bible is so one will come and he will prepare the hearts of the, he will return the hearts of the fathers to the children, the hearts of the children of their fathers. And I've just seen that time and again, like Jesus actually came to give me access to the father again so that what do I want? I want life to be easy. No, 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 Jay. What do you really, really want? What I really, really want is I want a father in heaven who's going to be there to protect me and he's going to invite me into a good life. And even when I screw up, he's going to be there for me to counsel me, love me, protect me, provide for me and help come up you know, with an alternate plan. And when I see that God's heart is turned toward me, I immediately, my heart has been just dying actually to throw myself on him and uh, to be able to see that reflection of that relationship with my heavenly father, you know, through our sons and our daughters. That's what I see time and time again. You get a dad to be able to offer something to their kid that their kid's been starving for, that child takes no time to turn right around mm-hmm. and throw themselves on their dad. And the dads are like, I had no idea that it was this easy. I had no idea. Well, I wouldn't say that it's easy. But in most cases, I had no idea that the, the time for my daughter or my son's heart to turn back toward me would be so quick. I just didn't know how to communicate to them yeah. in such a way that they knew that they had my heart. And that's the thing that we're fighting is there's doubt, there's lies, there's deception that uh, a child doesn't have their father's heart. And that's that's what we're looking to uncover. What's the real story yeah. about the father's heart? So good. Yeah. Um, full slate of events this summer. We've got one. It's already full. Yeah. So thinking thinking about another one. Yeah. So my my events for the spring are full and I've got some events in the fall that are full and I'm praying about what else to put put on there. At this point, I'm just kind of a one man, one man uh, operation show. Uh, So um, yeah, but I'm I'm an empty nester. But I don't want to leave my wife at home and just go off on one adventure after another. So yeah. we're really praying about how to invite more men, you know, into this and keep my sanity as well. So yeah. But how how do people find you? Beingsons.com. And you have a I mean, you have a podcast, you have YouTube, you have so much amazing content on this subject. I highly suggest to anyone listening to this that this any part of this conversation resonates with because you have spent so much time 
in this space and again articulate it so well obviously that all of your content is is brilliant and heartfelt and authentic and amazing so i just really encourage everyone to go check out jay and you'll fall in love with him like like i have yeah come join us on an adventure and yeah get on the waiting list yeah absolutely well brother to have you in the barn and to get to do this life with you in spots is incredible and a joy and an honor to have you here and thank you for your yes and thank you for the work you're doing and the lives you're changing and you're just such a, a blessing thank you brother thank you it's been a joy to have a growing friendship with you and watch you and lay and grow together as sons it's been awesome i'm looking forward to continuing to do it for the years to come Heck yeah love you brother love you too man Adios. I sat in my motel room this morning and I prayed and, and asked of things and, and you know, I, I couldn't hear him and I went outside. We, we had this conversation earlier and uh, things went to 